Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You can have a seat. I want to introduce you to our teacher this morning. Hopefully some of you already know him. He was here about um, 15 or 16 months ago to help us host and lead a conference around one of his books. He's written a number of books, um, the most notable of which, at least to us, is Heart and Mind. Um, If you've been a part of any of our four gospel journey classes over the last two years, or if you're in one now, it's built on this book, his book, Heart and Mind. He's one of my rabbis and uh, a dear friend to all of the leadership around here. If you will join me in welcoming Dr. Alexander Shia. Thank you. Testing. Thank you. It really, to, for this pilgrim who goes across the world, coming here feels like coming home. Um, in a moment, we're going to uh, share the reading of the gospel passage this morning, but I, I want to take a moment to focus on the purple on the table. And I don't know how many people here, anyone here who's willing to confess that purple is their favorite color? <laughs> so, um, being the, at least one of the Catholic kids in the room this morning, when I grew up, I was always told that purple was a penitential color. Uh, nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, in the Middle East and in the time of Jesus, purple dye was the most rare of all dyes. It actually is made by uh, what's secreted by a sea urchin. And it was such a rare and valuable color that only royalty could afford to wear it. And it became the color of Lent, not because Lent was penitential, it became the color of Lent because Lent is the season we are, where we are to be reminded of what we forget, which is our royal nature. We are to be reminded of the deep authenticity of each human person and to live more deeply in our authentic self. And so this season is not a season about our separation from God. This season is about a time for us to remember to come home, to be ever more deeply the person that God has intended us to be. So we put on, so the invitation this morning as we read this gospel passage is, metaphorically, I'd like you to put on the the royal purple. And let's read this passage remembering that this passage is calling us home to our authentic self. To, to read the passage this morning, uh, there are just a few lines in it, and I'm going to ask all of us to read the first line and the last line. But then the second line, I'm going to ask women to read, the third line, men, the uh, next line, women, the next line, men, and then we'll come together on the final line. Um, If you, I'm I'm looking at the text here. We've got it in both directions. Um, So all together, this first line, Jesus comes from the Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Women? Men? Jesus answers, let it be so now. 
For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And John consents. Women? And a voice from heaven says, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And together. Then Jesus is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This passage comes from the Gospel text of Matthew. And if you are somewhat familiar with my work or not, Let's remember that Matthew's text is what I call the text of the first spiritual path. It's the text that calls us to a new journey, and usually we're called to that new journey when we find ourselves in a time of trial. That the next spiritual path, the second path is Mark, the third is John, the fourth is Luke, and Luke bends right back around again to the opening of the text of Matthew. What we are now aware of is this gospel that we call Matthew was written in the 70s of the first century. And it was written in the days immediately following uh, the emperor who wished to end the Jewish religion. And to accomplish this, he sent his soldiers against Jerusalem. They were ordered to annihilate the temple, bring it down, uh, much like some of us might remember the World Trade Towers coming down. He wanted it reduced to ash without any object being left except one wall, the West Wall, because he knew that removing everything except one piece would remind the Jewish people of what they had lost. And then the horror went further because he also ordered the massacre of the entire line of the Cohens and the Levites, which are the priestly tribes, so he ended the Jewish priesthood by massacre. And then the third part is, is that he had his soldiers tear down much of Jerusalem. And we know that the Jewish people left Jerusalem at this point and did not return to the great city for almost 50 years because the horror of what had happened in those days was so great. So the, this text of this moment of Jesus coming to the Jordan and meeting John there. Part of the text that I, that I didn't share with you is a few lines before, and it says, Who has come out to the Jordan are the people of Jerusalem and the region of Judea. Now, this would have great resonance for those first hearers. It would be the same as today, our hearing about the people of Christ's church who had just suffered a horrible terrorist moment, being invited out to this place where John is, that this entire gospel is composed to a people who are in a horrific collective moment. They could never have expected what the emperor did. They could never have known how deeply wounded they would be. In fact, Judaism at this moment in its history was so wounded that many Jews felt that with the loss of the temple and the massacre of the priesthood, that God had left them. 
They feared that the covenant with Abraham had been ripped up and was null and void. They were being told by some of their leaders that this moment was about the apocalypse, that God was so angry that God was now going to destroy the world either by fire or water. Prepare yourself. Now, this text that we call Matthew was written to the Jewish Christian community in the great city of Antioch, which with the loss of Jerusalem is now the place in the Middle East which has the most Jews. And it comes as a message of, of great um, trust in God and comes as a message which wants people to know that this calamity has nothing to do with what they did or did not do. And if you know the text of Matthew well, you know that it opens with the angel coming to, Ma coming to Joseph and saying to Joseph that there's going to be a birth and that he is to name this son Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And that the very last line of the entire Gospel of Matthew, Jesus on the mountain of resurrection, is going to say to the disciples, remember, lo, I am with you until the end of time. So the thing that, that our God wants us to know is we can fall into our beliefs that when difficult things happen, that God got out of the car, or in some ways we separated ourselves from God, and none of that is true. That what is always true is, is that in the difficult moments, perhaps God's presence will be felt in our midst even more. That our God, that, that, that whole word about being faithful, that our God is faithful, or uh, for some of us when we describe ourselves as faithful, that word never describes us. Uh, we go in and out of our faith. The word faithful is about the fact that our God is always faithful to us, that there is nothing that is ever going to befall us. There is nothing that any of us are ever going to do. There is no, quote-unquote, missing the mark, i.e. sin, missing the mark. There is no tragedy. There is nothing that I could ever commit or do which will separate God from me. God will always be there. And so with that understanding, we turn to this text today because we have a couple of, of pieces in this text which are powerful uh, experiences for us to remember when we're in difficult moments. And as someone who has spent three years in New, New Zealand and um, many, 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 many months of working in Christ Church, my heart is ripped again. Um, I know where that mosque is. I know that plaza. I've walked those streets. I know those people. And I know what many of them are feeling at this moment. This gospel text is written for them, and it's written for us in such moments. So we have Jesus coming from the Galilee and coming down to meeting John at the Jordan. We think, well, isn't that a nice travelogue? Um, we think of all those experiences that we just described about with water. And, you know, I'm, I have a few dangerous moments with water. I was caught in a flood with, uh, um, the flood wasn't nearly as bad. I mean, although the flood waters were, 
were fast and up to my waist. The, the real problem was the waters were filled with snakes who were not happy and poisonous snakes. Um, this image of water for the Jewish people, we forget that flowing water to the Jewish people was terrifying, utterly terrifying. They didn't go out to the Jordan River for relaxation. They didn't go sit around the Lake of Galilee. Those places were places of horror to them. They didn't even want to touch them. When we hear about the disciples who are fishermen who go out on the Sea of Galilee, those guys are heroes because they go out and face almost certain death every day to bring food back to a starving people. It's important that the first followers of Jesus were not the academics up in the temple. They were the people who knew how to face their fear and live through it. So when we hear about the Jordan River, which is flowing water, we have to remember that this water reminds them of the Great Flood. And what happened at the Great Flood is like we know the story. We know half of the story. The heavens opened and the waters came down. Go back and read the story again. That's half of it. The other half of it is the vault under the earth opened and the waters came up. What's so devastating about, quote-unquote, the Great Flood is that the waters came from both directions and wiped away life. So the Jews, at this moment in their history, and even to this day, they're still fairly terrified of flowing water because there are flash floods in Israel, which are quite dangerous. But they think of if they go down into flowing water, especially the Jordan River, which is murky and muddy, and you can't see the bottom, the fear in those days is that there is a hole in the river in which they are going to go down through and they're going to go out into shale. So this ritual that John is doing is gripping Many people are performing this ritual back in the synagogue in a stone vessel. No, John's asking for something quite different at, at the emotional level. John is asking people to face a place of their deepest fear and live through it. The invitation to the people of Jerusalem and the region of Judea in the days after the temple and the massacre of the priests, can you live through this deepest fear with God at your side? And so when we see this great ritual, there, there's another aspect that's confusing to us, and I forget that this is a lot of uh, teaching this morning, but we hear this word baptism in the scriptures, and immediately we think about it at the 9.30 service this morning, we had the beautiful baptism of, of a, a, just a, a, a one-year-old boy named George. We think Christian baptism. We think Jesus is being baptized. <laughs> Baloney. Um, what we've forgotten is that at this point in Jewish history, their rituals have taken on Greek names. 200 years later, they changed the Greek names back to their original Jewish names. Jesus is receiving the mikvah bath. 
Many people are doing the mikvah bath, either in the synagogue. John is doing the mikvah bath in the Jordan River. And so that when we hear the term baptism, when we read the scriptures, it, in almost every instance, we are not yet using the word in the scriptures to refer to Christian baptism. We're still using the word to refer to the Jewish ritual of a mikvah bath. So Jesus is going to participate in this mikvah bath, and John objects. Why would John object? And why would Jesus say it's really proper and necessary? Because it's not that the people of Jerusalem and Judea have sinned. That's not why they're being asked. They are falling into despair in the face of the tragedy that has befallen them. And what they're being asked to do in this ritual of facing their fear by facing these waters, which in those days they would even say that the, the flowing of the Jordan River is the place of the demonic. It's the place of their deepest fear. It's the place of their anxiety. So they're being asked to go through a ritual with God's grace to live through their deep fear. We're being asked to do that in our lives today. The people of Christ's church this day are being asked to do that in a very profound way. Because this, the text of this gospel, and particularly the text of this mikvah bath of Jesus, is to teach us about the deepest truth of we who believe in God and we who know the power of Jesus the Christ. And that is this. And we baptized little George this morning into this reality. That our life has a pattern. And that pattern is life, death, life. That pattern is life, troubles, life. That pattern is life, despair, life. That pattern is life, downturn, life. That is the nature of what it means for us to live God's life inside of us. That our God has not come as the band-aid to our problems. That our God has come as a powerful grace to help us face and live through our troubles to greater life. And this is what this beautiful text tells us because it has all of these added uh, messages to the first hearers. When Jesus comes up out of the water, we hear, and the heavens opened. Be good Jews now at this moment. When you hear, and the heavens opened, what are the Jewish people expecting? The great flood and the waters of chaos. The heavens opening means literally, in their way of understanding the world, that that vault over the sky, which holds back the waters... That was their understanding is that the sky, that blue sky up there was a stone vault painted blue and on the other side of it were the waters of chaos. And when, that, when we hear the heavens opened, every reader of this text in its original days would have said, ah, here it comes, the great flood again. But what happens? In the text, it's not a great flood, it's the dove the dove comes down and alights on Jesus. And this is another way of helping the people understand that the experience with God is life, death, life. Life troubles 
greater life. That when we see the heavens open above us or we see the ground open underneath us, we oftentimes can go to the place of despair. When the practice of our faith is to understand that troubles come to all of us. And that's not the end of the story. It's the opening to the last part of the story, which is that greater life is on the horizon. And then the story gives us one more, actually it gives us two more powerful messages. Not only does the dove come down, but Jesus hears that beautiful phrase. And lo, you are my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And each one of us hearing that phrase in our life is the emotional, internal experience of baptism whenever, that, whenever the water was poured. The, the true, deep, internal experience of baptism is when you hear God's voice to you say over and over and over and over again in your life, you are my daughter, you are my son, in whom I am well pleased. You, too, are part of the beloved. And then what happens right after that? Because Jesus is teaching us about this strange life with God that we're living you know, we don't get to hear you are the beloved and go on vacation. We too, every time we hear that voice that says you are the beloved, put on your seatbelt. Because exactly what happens to Jesus is what's going to happen in our life. And then it says, and then the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus from this moment of his deeper hearing of I am the beloved out to the wilderness where he's going to be tempted and tested by the text says the devil. That what Jesus has come to share with us is that all of life is this pattern. Life, death, life. Life, trial, greater life. Life, depression, despair, anxiety, greater life. And that every time we know God's truth in us deeper, put on your seatbelt. Because what's going to come right after that is we've got another clean out to do. It's like we get to know the life of God deeper in us so that there's more in us that we can face. So there's more in us that can grow. So this beautiful text of John at the flowing waters of, the ang- of our anxiety that we call the Jordan River, inviting Jesus to go down into those waters as a way of helping the people of Jerusalem and Judea understand that in their tragedy, they too must go down into the waters of their despair and live through that by the grace and the presence of God. And that if we do that, we too will hear again and again, you are my beloved. And we'll get to really enjoy that for a short while, maybe days, maybe a month or two. But I guarantee you, when you hear that voice, also know that a time of more work for you is coming. 
because this is the life of our God. Life, death, life. Let us pray. Gracious one, you teach us how to ever be the beloved, a full son and a full daughter of our one God. As we are asked to face the waters of our own anxiety, despair, trials, difficult times, may we too know that these trials are here so that our trust in you may grow deeper. We pray in your holy name, Jesus the Christ. Amen.